Welcome to Call Your Girlfriend, a podcast for long distance besties everywhere. I'm Aminatu So. And I'm Ann Friedman. Hi, Ann Friedman. I heard you've been traveling around the world. What's going on? Woo, it's been a whirlwind. You know, just got off uh, an, a multi stop international flight. I'm, you know, just taking a moment to chat to you before I go to like a huge party with my friends and so many strangers all in one room. And then this weekend, I'm going to, you know, like fly to see my grandma and hug her. The usual. <laughs> <laughs> Anne is joking. For anyone who is horrified right now, this is obviously a sick fantasy that um, none of us can partake in. Hey, you say sick fantasy. I say rich interior life, okay? This is like reminding me, you know, of the people who are definitely traveling and partying, but are painstakingly making you aware that they believe that they're being safe right now. Where they're just like, oh yeah, but we got tested or we're so safe. And I'm like, "Mm mm-hmm. Um, this is like a, like a taking a pregnancy test before you have a raw sex with someone and then telling me that you are still not pregnant. Have fun with that. Yeah. Um, there is no is cheek a- swab for morality. Like that is what's happening here. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, if one more person tells me that they're like in Mexico being safe, my eyes are have already like rolled to space and back multiple times. Don't have time for this. Mm-hmm. Anyway, speaking of trips to Mexico... <laughs> Great transition. Great transition. <laughs> Great transition. It's almost like we've been doing this show for seven years. Um, I called my friend Jedediah Jenkins, who is a travel writer and entrepreneur. He is the author of Like Streams to the Ocean, which is out in February 2021. He was previously the author of the best-selling To Shake the Sleeping Self. You might have read it. He served as the executive editor of Wilderness Magazine. And Jed is just like a good person. He is also, um, you know, like, for me, is a vacation buddy. It's like someone that I met while I was on a trip to Mexico. And it's been really fun getting to know each other since then. Wait, so I, I, maybe you'll get into this, but like you truly just, you had one of those rom-com experiences where you were like at the next table or like, you know, poolside at the hotel and you just like made a real and true friend. Truly like, at the, so I went on this trip to Mexico with two other friends and then we showed up at this like really beautiful resort and on the first night we went to this party on the beach and we made friends there and Jed was one of those friends and then oh. he became like a like a rest of the trip resort friend. It was really fun. That is a true like beautiful fantasy of the before times. Like I love to hear this. I know it's like sometimes I I, rem- I remember that and I'm like I used to leave the house. I used to leave this block. That <laughs> <laughs> That seems not real. Um but anyway, I'm excited to talk to Jed about his new book about, you know, like being a serial entrepreneur and uh like all the fun stuff that he's up to. I can't wait to listen. Hi. Hello, hello. Thanks for coming on Call Your Girlfriend. It's been a dream ever since I met you by a pool. <laughs> Do you want to tell the story of how we met? Because it really feels like a fever dream from another era, especially now that we cannot leave the house. 
Well, so we were, <laughs> I was in Mexico in Todos Santos, right? Yes. Remember passports? I, oh my God, remember just seeing a place that isn't my street? So um, I, we were at this gorgeous hotel called, called Hotel San Cristobal. I was there with my friend Alex, who's a chef, and my friend Connie, who is an actress, Connie Britton, with the gorgeous red hair and the great talent. So we're, we're at the pool constantly, and I see across the pool these three gorgeous women who are just chic. It's the robes, it's the hats, it's the glasses, it's the books. And they're very much, I knew they were my vibe because they were holding books, but talking. So they weren't reading. They were <laughs> holding the book for the vibe and just talking nonstop for and I and they had their cocktail. I never saw a word be read, but it was just like the energy of holding a book, which is very me. And I guess at one point I just like got close enough to y'all in the pool and was somehow we started talking. And I don't know that which is very like serendipitous and sexy, but do you remember? Well, maybe you don't remember this. The night before, we had all gone to that beach party. Yes. We, there yes. was like a party at the beach, and I had showed up to Mexico for my birthday with my friends, Kara and Camilla, who are very well-read people. But it is true that when we are at the pool, we just hold books for the energy. And we realized very quickly, this hotel is very small and really lovely and great. But when we got there, we realized that there were... Um, Everyone was there in a cluster. There was definitely like uh -huh. another big birthday group and there were like maybe 20 of them. And then there was like you and your crew. And then there were the three of us. And we were like, wow, we should have rolled in a deeper crowd because we are definitely the only like, we're the only like solo people at this hotel or that's what it felt like at least. So, yeah, small group. Small group. So when we met, I think like at the, there was that dinner at the beach and then we all, um, we all met. And I remember thinking that you were so fun. You were just like, <laughs> fleeting around and I was like I really want to talk to him and we were I you know it's like we went to this dinner where everyone knew each other so we ended up like being introduced but it wasn't until we hung out at the pool the next day where it was like oh this is gonna be really good <laughs> well and this is like a very cute and modern moment where you have a real life meeting just once um and then you get to follow each other on social media in some way. And then you like get to like see another side or un like learn more about the person. And over time, like I feel like I really know you and I'm really close to you, though we've spent, we've breathed the same air only for a few hours. I know. It's so ridiculous. And that was over a year ago. That was a year and almost two years oh, ago. It was like two years ago? It was uh it's gonna be two years in uh in uh this April because it's my birthday again. Yeah. Um also I have to tell the really because you said who was there, I have to tell the really embarrassing story of there was a woman in the pool on like one of my earliest like the first day I was at the resort in the pool who like left her glasses. She was swimming and her glasses kind of um got away from her so i grabbed them i gave them to her she looked really beautiful she was really nice and i said a thing that i usually never say and i was like oh you i like if someone reminds me of someone famous i never ever say it because right it's right so right embarrassing. it's so embarrassing like why would you do that and also i truly never remember any famous people's faces but i was like you know you look just like mrs coach and i said mrs coach <laughs> 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 Friday Night Lights, like you're supposed to remember that 
And she just laughed so hard. And I was like, oh, that is Mrs. Coach's laugh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we both like smiled sheepishly. And I was like, I'm going to be embarrassed for the rest of my life. So that's my, um, so that's one story. And then the other thing that I, uh, I think is like so fun and always reminds me of you, forever reminds me of you, is that if you remember later on the trip, we figured out that when you were at the, on the plane or at the airport, you had airdropped a picture of a goat to like random people in the airport. Yes. Um, and one of those people was my friend Cam. And we <laughs> only figured this out later. And I'm only sharing this because I think that anyone who just randomly airdrops cute photos to people is someone that I want to know. I was like, yes. <laughs> one time I was like traveling with a friend or something and I wanted to airdrop them a podcast. I don't know what it was. And I looked and then all of a sudden like nine people on the plane popped up because obviously a plane, a bus, a subway, like you're really close to strangers, but you're not talking. A plane's probably the closest. And I was just like, oh my gosh. And so <laughs> I just clicked all of them, just beep, 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 and just sent like funny photos in my thing. But then I remember being rejected by all of them the first, I mean, maybe every time, rejected, rejected. And I was so offended. I'm like, wow, these people are so hateful. And a friend pointed out that they were like, Jed, your phone is named Send Nudes Here. No one is going to accept that. And so I was like, oh, you're so right. So I changed the name of my phone to a safe Christian iPhone user. <laughs> and that has changed everything. You know, it's all about branding. That's so funny. I've definitely received inappropriate airdrops from, you know, like inappropriate men in airports. So I hate that. Ew. Um, I, um, but my thing that I do, which is a public service, but also 100% trolling, is when I'm anywhere in public during Black History Month, I just airdrop random um, civil rights information to people. Oh like, my God, it's genius. Memes. So I'm like, I send all the like uh, the Black History Month memes, or I'm like, hi, you should know Fannie Lou Hamer, blah, blah, blah. And my iPhone is called um, Fannie Lou Hamer's iPhone because she's my civil rights icon. But, oh, um, my God. So we were meant to be. We were meant to <laughs> I be. I know, I know, I know. <sighs> well, tell me how quarantine is treating you. You know, I'm really beginning to hate it on a new level. I think I've gone through the cycles of grief. Obviously, it's been a year. But, like, I feel... I mean, I do believe... I am I listen to every word Dr. Fauci says. And I do believe we're rounding the corner. Like, it's darkest before the dawn. And... I think we'll be able to like travel and see our friends in a meaningful way by summer, which it's even scary. I mean, 2020 COVID-19 taught me to hold all my hopes with an open hand, all my plans because yeah. just the world can shift under your feet in astronomical ways. And I mean that I'm going to be thinking about that for decades. Cause I really think this experience might permanently alter Gen Z but anyway, I really want to get sweaty and dance and be wild. I'm ready, but I can wait. I can wait till summer. And listen, I can wait forever if it's going to save lives. But I just am summer, tired. Summer seems optimistic. But I think that what I learned in COVID season one, when every single day at alert would pop up in my calendar. For example, I was going back to that resort in Mexico for my birthday or... Oh. 
So many, every single day I had to cancel something in the future for Uh, probably, for probably the first five weeks, every day, like a a plane ticket or a thing or a concert, like something would pop up and it was like, oh yeah, I can't go to that anymore. And I think that it definitely defeated my spirit, but also I think that I have really embraced a life of, I have no expectations. If I can hug my friends in the summer, I will cry and I will tackle them to the ground And if I cannot, I think I am really stealing myself for that. And so I'm hoping that maybe by fall we'll have a semblance of life. But what do I know? You said a little earlier that you think that the pandemic is going to alter Gen Z. I think it's going to alter like elderly millennials like us too. But what do you mean by that? I think it's going to alter us too. But so like you think about how they say, I mean, World War II altered the greatest generation. The Great Depression altered our grandparents and the greatest generation, blah, blah, blah these big events shit like shape a cultural mindset. And I think if you are in high school or middle school, or if you're young and school is canceled for a year, a year and a half, no trips, no vacation, you can't play football anymore. You can't play soccer. You can't go to play practice. Like what that's doing to the concept of like life is orderly and things work out for me or like life has a schedule and I'm on the assembly line of life and then I'm going to go to college and then I'm going to get a job and then I'm going to get married. And then like to have that deeply shift and, and to see your parents have to pivot in a way, I think it's going to do something to their psyche. And I think it's going to make them, I think it's going to make some of them more risk averse and more prone to saving money and things like our grandparents' generation did that millennials famously don't do. Um, But I don't know. Because we inherited a different kind of fear. You know, it's like, ah, like, we're like, all we've known is, um, and your book made me think about this, honestly, like how you're just born, you don't ask for it. And now you're here and then you just have to deal with whatever childhood the universe has given you. Like you're just like, okay. You don't choose your parents. You don't choose the house you grew up in. Like nothing. Like what a weird fluke. You don't choose anything. And then it's like, oh no, these are the cards I've been dealt. I got to, you know, like this is, this is what I, I have to do. And, you know, and by and large, we all survive our childhoods and we all survive where we're from. Some people have charmed ones. Other people do not. And, you know, and, but most people are somewhere in the middle anyway. Right. And it's easy to to look back and feel really lacking in a lot. Like, oh, like I didn't have the perfect family or I didn't have the, you know, like uh-huh. we didn't have money or we didn't have this or I, you know, I, my life was not perfect in this way. And it's a little harder to to be a grown up who takes responsibility for your own life, no matter what it, you know, and just says, mm. like, okay, here's the weird soup that the universe gave me. But it doesn't mean that um, there are not ways in which I got lucky and there are not ways in which I'm privileged and there are not ways in which I have access. Mm-hmm. I think that part of surviving your childhood is starting to be honest about how you are living life today, you know, and what makes your life possible. That's like my, that is my deepest held belief about anyone who has a public platform is that if you are choosing to be in the arena of the public, whether it's doing a podcast, it's having a large Instagram following, it's writing books, whatever it is that you do, like especially if you write and talk about yourself, you have to be honest about everything that makes your life possible. And I don't say that in the sense that you have to overshare, but I think, you know, it's like 
when I think about your first book and when I think about this book too, I think that that is what you're doing of saying like, okay, for the person who used to be me or for, you know, that confused like 22 year old gay boy from Tennessee, here is one account of how someone has tried to figure that out. Well, that, uh, I just love your mind. It like flows into my mind so effortlessly and beautifully. I think the roadmap, this is why, I mean, humans learn best through stories. Our brains work like that, that we've been sitting around fires telling stories for a million years. And that's why parables and metaphors land in the mind in a way that's sticky. And so telling your life story, how you did this, how you grew up, what made you decide things and be the way that you are, people hear that and, and the ultimate feeling is me too. Like, oh my gosh, that's, that's how I grew up, or that's my family. Or, wow, I didn't grow up like that. I didn't, I never had a mom tell me she loved me. Or I never, my dad never hit me. I guess I've never thought about the fact that he didn't hit me. That's pretty cool. Like, it's, it's both through the me too and the wow, that's different, that is so instructive in life. And I totally agree. The understanding where people came from because not only does it instruct it also removes the fantasy mythology around someone's life being so much better than yours and the like toxicity Mm -hmm. of comparison of why am i not like that and then when you really see the component parts of someone's life it makes a lot more sense why you're not potentially like that Oh, I love I love the way that you put that because I am so I think because of social media and all of the the ways that it, it it's just built to make you feel lacking. You know, it's like, hi, look at someone else's perfect life. And um, why do you not have that? Um, because like that, it, it's it's a model that I reject so much. I just I think so much about how like, how do we live life in communities so that we are not you know, we are not permanently reinforcing like really awful envy towards each other. And I think that being honest about the things that make your life good or the things that make your life hard is one way to do that. Um, I like, I'm curious when you sat down to write like streams to the ocean, it, you know, in some ways it's definitely in conversation with your first book. And in other ways, it takes some of these themes like a lot further, you know, you write a lot about ego and you write a lot about death and about friendship and about, you know, like family and and feeling at home. And I'm just like, I'm wondering like what state of mind you were in and really what you were trying to accomplish. Oh, yeah. So To Shake the Sleeping Self was my first book. Like Streams to the Ocean is the second one. And the title really comes from a, a passage that I wrote trying to use a metaphor for the experience of being a child and growing into an adult and ultimately returning to the cosmic whatever when you're done with this life. And it grew out of my first book in the sense where my first book was a travel memoir about riding my bicycle across Latin America for a year and a half and also confronting my evangelical upbringing and its antagonism towards my sexuality. And in there, I had a lot of philosophical conversations about religion and God and family and this and that. And I thought I was an adventure travel writer. I thought that's what I was, that I wrote about Mexico City and Machu Picchu and Patagonia and 
But I found over the course of having a readership respond to my first book and writing online a lot, the things that people actually responded to were my thoughts around these larger concepts of being a human, of like a, a curiosity of atomizing and breaking down the experience of living as a human in a body with a family and falling in love and fearing death and trying to find a career that feels meaningful and productive. It was when I would talk about things like that, that people really responded and sent me long letters and emails about how it impacted them. And, and I noticed that's what I really enjoy doing is writing about the thoughts in my head around these concepts. And so what I did when my publisher came back asking for another book, I said, let me look at all my writing over the past five years and see if any themes trickle to the top. Like if I scoop it all up, see like what I'm doing. And I just started collecting all these writings and finding that they fit in these buckets, these subjects of life. That I wrote a lot about friendship. Oh, this is interesting. I'll put these in a folder. Oh, I wrote a lot about love. I wrote a lot about my family. I wrote a lot about career and work. And so I was just scooping them into these buckets and I realized I had accidentally built a skeleton of these key subjects of a thoughtful life, in my opinion. And so I presented that to my publisher. I was like, let me do, let me write some essays based on this skeleton that seems to be resonating with readers and is clearly what my mind wants to write about. It's what I find interesting. And my publisher loved the idea. And so that was the birth of this book. That's all. Well, that's one aspect of the birth. The other aspect is one of the most common messages I get or emails is people asking me, where do you find people to have conversations like this with? Where do you mm -hmm. find friends to that are going to ask you about what it means to be a human and, and dissect purpose and religion and philosophy and the universe. And I have no idea. I maybe like calls out to like, maybe I'm super social. Maybe I've, I'm older and have figured out where these people live. I basically had a lot of people telling me that I online was their friend like that. I was the one that helped them have these conversations with themselves. And so I wanted basically to make a book that is that fireside companion that invites you into deeper conversation with yourself. If you maybe you don't have that with your wife, husband, partner, friends. Maybe you wish you did and I was like, well, I can be that at least in the magical way that a book is. Some of I mean it's cliche, but some of my best friends are dead authors. I, I love hanging out with them. I love that you are both like a, a very indoor person, but also very social. You like <laughs> truly, truly an enigma to me. I was like, mm, could spend a lot of time by himself, but also the perfect addition to any social scene. <laughs> oh my God. Thank you. I am very, very extroverted, but I've discovered being a writer now for a full-time writer now for, I guess, nine years, eight, no, seven years that I really do have a lifestyle because I am alone all day when I'm writing. I'm 
I go sit at coffee shops non-pandemic, and I sit in public all day, but I am not talking. The only time I talk is when I order food or a, a coffee. So I'm silent with my books, with my writing, with my Twitter and whatever, like just consuming information quietly by myself. And then by mid-afternoon, I'll go work out, and then I'm ready to see people and socialize every day. I mean, I am doing something every night. And I think that that has something to do with the fact that I don't socialize with people that I don't choose. You know, a lot of people have coworkers, and they're maybe they're introverted, and maybe being around people, especially people not that are their best friends but coworkers is tiring. They're in meetings, they're on Zooms, they're being social in a way that isn't voluntary, whereas my social life is completely voluntary. So basically, my gas tank is very full. talk to you about friendship because you are someone that we've been quoting a lot on the big friendship book tour actually and I imagine we will quote a lot again when we get back on the road for the paperback um the road the digital road no one is leaving their home um Ugh. please don't cancel us we are fully at home no one is going anywhere but, uh, <laughs> you know it was the, this thing that you posted about how different friends hold different parts of your life and you use this like really good jangling keys metaphor and i'm wondering <laughs> if you can um if you can talk about it more here well yeah that was um that made it into like streams because i wanted to uh basically put that on paper on in, in a in the physical world so people could have it it's just something i've been thinking about kind of a lot because as a recovering christian gay man and where intimacy was denied me for a long time physical like romantic intimacy friendship meant everything to me because it was my only official sanctioned relationship of any kind and so i just was obsessed with my friends and still am but and held them to such an intimate space in my in my life that i always had a best friend and i i the, the title really meant a lot to me and then as I would move through seasons of life or move to new seasons, that would change. And there was like, there was like an energetic, a negative energetic competition between people and myself. And, and when those titles would shift and change and I would have to like qualify, like this is my college best friend or, Oh, this is my San Diego best friend. And I noticed myself qualifying these things, which piqued my interest in my mind to say, what am I talking about? The first person that to ever say, I don't really say that anymore, to me, was Dax Shepard. He now famously hosts a podcast, and he's an actor, but he's married to a longtime friend of mine, Kristen Bell. And we were talking about this years ago, probably 15 years ago. And he said, I probably asked him, like, doe-eyed, who's your best friend? And he's like, 
the concept of a best friend is childish. <laughs> and Wow, Dax Shepard with the truth. Yeah, and I just, I had never heard someone say that. And I just like, it just stuck in my mind like a dart. And he didn't really say much more than that. He was just like, that's something kids say. And it just kind of sent me down this train of thought of why do I have to have a best friend? Like, because when I think about it, friends serve different roles in my life. And sometimes I, I mean, I have friends that are married and they light up when they hang out with me in a way that they don't around their beloved spouse. And does that diminish their relationship with their spouse or have we like expected too much of certain relationships in a way that is unhealthy and just untrue. And that train of thought led me down this idea that friend, different friends hold different keys to the doors of your identity and your personhood. And that's okay. And that's beautiful. And you don't have to like lock someone into a label, but there is value in understanding and speaking that some of your friends hold a lot of keys and they're really close. And if you're ever in the hospital, someone needs to know to call them because they got the most keys. They need to be here. I love that because I, I, you know, I am like you, the, the, um, Oh, best friend is childish is something that I realized when I was not a child. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh, here's what's going on here. It's not good to apply too much pressure to, to any of your human relationships. And also, it's actually really denying yourself the truth that so many different people can can unlock, like, you know, the like who you are. And and also I'm like, it's nice to share. It is nice to share of ourselves. So I also love that you connected it so much to evangelical Christianity because that's another thing that we have in common. Mm. And in a different way, I had a very brief pit stop, but it was a memorable pit stop. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and for you, it was definitely a, it was a lifestyle, um, mm -hmm. you know, but I, it's something that I find myself really reluctant to talk about sometimes. And also something that I, I am constantly thinking of dealing with everything that was not great about that period of my life. You know, mm. so when I think about like trying to fundraise for going on mission trips or, mm -hmm. you know, like really pushing this like evangelical lifestyle as something that people should consider, um, I feel a sense of complicity. And I also feel, um, you know, like I'm like, it's complicated. You know, I'm, I'm not saying that I was uh, some sort of like a Christian drug dealer, like very far from it. <laughs> But I do, like, I, I wrestle a lot with the fact that I was like, hmm, like, this is not something that is, that I feel good about, you know, and it's definitely something that I participated in what, at whatever level. And I wonder if that's something that you wrestle with, too. Or is it just like, okay, I'm letting this roll off my back and some parts of Christianity are good, some parts are bad, and then we can just all move on. Well, I definitely think some parts of Christianity are good and some parts are very bad. Um, I think... Like, I am, I look back at that season of my life and it feels like something that happened to me more than complicity, even though I was very involved and certainly I, my Christianity happened to others. And that's the interesting complexity of 
humans doing things and being part of a larger infrastructure um, and just being part of a society. It's, it's both the chicken or the egg. Like you are the result of an environment and you are contributing to that environment. And so I, I think about it and talk about it all the time because it was so formative to me. It's funny you said, you said the term lifestyle because it was a lifestyle that really harmed me. And the whole time that lifestyle was calling being gay a lifestyle that harmed. They were like that the gay lifestyle is destructive and will give you AIDS and kill you and probably send you to hell. Meanwhile, I didn't even register that evangelical Christianity and certainty-based dogma and evangelicalism, meaning like the urgency to spread a belief system to people who are not asking for it, is a deadly, dangerous, horrible lifestyle that I was living. And luckily, I had the wherewithal and ultimately a community of new friends that made me feel safe enough to see that I was in a massive multi-billion member cult and that I had to escape. <laughs> and that's pretty, like, where is that's that documentary? <laughs> well, what do they, what do they say? Cult plus time equals religion. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. Yeah. I'm like, it's not, there's, there's literally the same level of volleyball playing in Nexium as there is in evangelical Christianity. So I'm like, this is definitely, <laughs> like, it's definitely a cult. When like grown adults are playing volleyball any night of the week, I'm like, you're in a cult. You should know that. Well, and it's the, the thing is human beings are religious apes. We like, we evolved to see, to be able to believe these complex myths to explain how mysterious the world works. Cause our, our little brains cannot understand meteorology and biology and physics on their own. So we had to come up with stories to make this make sense. And so I being raised very religious and, a, and still a spiritually interested person, the QAnon conversation fascinates me because these people are believing in a cabal of celebrities and Democrats and a sex ring cannibalistic, like overlord it's culture. It's, it's so wild, but that's because it's wild because it's fresh, meaning they think it's happening now. Like I believed and millions of people believe that a man rose from the dead and that we, when you drink his, when you drink wine, and eat bread, it transubstantiates into actual blood and flesh. And that is how the original sin of the Garden of Eden, where a snake spoke to a woman. And everyone's like, dope. Yeah, yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, let's live. Let's believe <laughs> Let's that. live according to that. Right. And it's just, that's, if that was an idea that came out right now, people would be like, are you, you need to lie down. Are you okay? And yet... I, I'm not trying. Listen, I like was raised Christian, and I still call myself a mystic Christian because the concepts and um, the life of Jesus, who I do believe is a historical, real person, um, there is a lot, an incredible amount of wisdom and truth in there. And I think specifically the individualistic American blend of Christianity is dangerous. 
But I, I believe there's so much beauty in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And um, because the thing is, what's interesting about that is I, 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 I add that caveat because when you are in evangelical Christianity, there, there is a mimetic immune system that is sold to Christians from the pulpit to if, if people use certain lingo and challenge your belief, basically they build up a white blood cell immune system to someone challenging your beliefs. They say they're deceived. They say they're relativistic. They say they're selfish. And they use these Bible verses basically to make the, to remove critical thinking from the Christian's mind. And I was like that. I would, I would meet people that I really liked and I'd be listening for them to use cues so that I could trust their words. I would be waiting for them to thank God or to talk about God and not say the universe. If they said the universe, I knew they were deceived by the hippies and the liberals. And these are like almost like signals, hand signals that I was looking for to see if somebody quote unquote loved God or didn't. And then I could like go deeper in my friendship with them, which is a type of religious contagion that I think is so sad and dangerous. And so I, if you, you'll notice in like streams and to shake the sleeping self that I'm intentional with my language to some degree, because I want to, I want to invite that curious kid or young person or adult who is a person of faith, who is raised in that culture. I want to invite them into a deeper conversation and not trigger their immediate abandonment of the idea. Mm. I hadn't considered that. It's funny also that you say that you used when you were, um, you know, like deep in it, you would listen for cues mm -hmm. to know if the person was Christian or not, because I definitely do that now, but for the opposite reason. Right. <laughs> like, Same. Yeah. You hear it, you know, you're, they're just like, Oh yeah, we're, we're doing life like X or, um, even the words like intentional or accountability, like anyone, anytime I can figure out if someone has been in a small group at a church, I was like, I got you down. Like there yeah, are, yeah. there are, um, when they use words like grace or like blessing. Mm -hmm. I'm so blessed. You're like, mm -hmm. we're so blessed. There are, yeah, there are just like a lot of signals, like verbal signals that people give you, but it's, I find, I find it all very fascinating. And also, oh, now, there's so there's so much information in verbal signals. Like I find that one of the best things to follow on Twitter is the Pew Research Center. Like the, they do these polls, these massive multi-thousand person polls of like American idea and sentiment. And I remember they released this poll. I believe it was Pew that um, it was something like 10% of Latin people have ever heard of the term Latinx and 3% use it. And I was like, in in my circles, everyone says Latinx. And I was not, like, I thought not Latinx. That's not how your circle says it. No, they say Latinx. I'm just, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> that's so funny that you bring that up because I was looking into research about that also, because I was like, you know, I don't, I don't like when I start using a term and don't know, you know, like where it's from. And you're so right about Latinx. And when I would pull my friends who were, um, you know, who uh, that label would fit for, a lot of them were not using it or do not like it. Right. And so I, it, that's a perfect example of that. 
that term is a signaling term to a certain echelon of people and a certain corner of the progressive conversation, which is which is they're signaling to each other because clearly they're not asking the Latin X Latin community what they think. They're talking to each other. And that's fine, but I, it was just an interesting realization. You know, when I'm back in Tennessee, when I'm home in Tennessee or when I'm in California, there's so much information. If someone says BIPOC or someone says the mainstream media, like my mom will say like, well, the mainstream media. And I'm like, and I immediately know everything, not everything, but I know so much about the way she sees the world if she's like lamenting the mainstream media. <laughs> You're like CNN. Um <laughs> Oh, man, I'm also laughing that you said BIPOC, because I will confess on this podcast that the first couple of times I saw it, I thought it meant bisexual person of color. And I was like, what is specific identity? But you know what? I'm here. I support it. Um, Whatever, whatever the people want, like you tell me what to call you. And then I was in a meeting and someone was talking about BIPOC and then they referred to me and I was like, I am not a bisexual person of color. <laughs> I am. I mean, not too so. I am black. <laughs> it was very instructive. But you're right about like about the signals, and it really does go both ways. The who are you talking to, and what are you trying to say? What are you trying to say to your people, and also which dog whistle are you using? Right, because yeah, we, we do that in we do that in so many ways, even in informal conversation or the you know the memes that you share or the jokes that you share. And so it's something that I, I am trying to consider more and more as I communicate with people. Yeah, and it's I, I'm not even giving a value judgment to it. I'm just saying we all do it. I remember when I was in deep in the Christian lifestyle, there was a season where I would strategically say shit or ass because there's a type of Christian that sometimes cusses that signals you're a cool Christian. 100%. Like, and I, it's so funny now looking back on that. I was like, I was definitely doing that on purpose and like trying to sit and like trying to find the other cool Christians who might like have a cigarette with me where that was, <laughs> it's just funny. It's like, you world. could also always tell them by their shoe game. If they, if the shoes had a lot of money, that was my thing. I was like, if I like a, not like a mainstream fashion, but I was like, okay, if this person is spending an ungodly amount of money on their sneakers, I know mm-hmm. that they're trying to tell me that they're cool. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, um, the mainstream media has definitely covered um, pastors with expensive sneakers and how that's going. So good luck to everyone there. <laughs> oh my um, gosh. That world is wild. That world is that world is so wild, but it is it's truly um, I want someone to make a TV show of it that I, you know, that I'm like some really like HBO production. Tell me what it's like at these um, like in these mega churches now, because it is definitely uh, it's an environment that has changed a lot since I've been there. But the fa- the fashion alone is is worth investigating. OK, no I... more, no more, no more of the pastors or it's going. To yes, drive yes, 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 yes. But before we leave each other. Can you tell me like something that has, like, I know that the pandemic is bad and quarantine is, you know, like it's not fun, but we are, we are also like hashtag blessed to like have jobs and be able to live um, our lives. I'm just like wondering if there is anything that has surprised you about this time in our life, but in a positive way. (sighs) I think there's a lot, actually. I think. I am such a traveler goer, like say yes, sir. I'm constantly on the go. And 
It's not so much that I, I was consciously running from my own life. It was that I just like to say yes. And, and I'm, I have a lot of friends who their jobs and their life take them all over the world. And they're like, Jed, come with me. And I'm like a single gay man. So I'm like great, fun arm candy for trips like that. So I just say yes a lot. So I've never really been in my house for four seasons to like watch the seasons change. Well, in LA, we have two seasons, but still. And I've just become, I love my space. I have plants all over my room now. I'm a plant gay. I'm like watering them. I'm watching them grow. I planted maybe a thousand wildflower seeds in my backyard. And every morning I make my coffee and I go outside and I look to see if they've grown and they have. And right now they're like maybe two centimeters tall. They're popping out of the soil and it makes me so happy. And it's, it, I've just discovered that I enjoy I enjoy the four walls of this house in this little backyard and like noticing the molecular level changes of things, which I've never seen before. And I'm lucky enough being a writer that like a writer's fantasy is being like an old writer on a porch with a pipe, like on their, like in their cabin by the sitting by the fire on a porch, like working on their 20th book, like, unlike a soccer player or something like my ideal future is is always in the future until i'm an old bearded man and um i got to kind of experience that this year where i'm like an old fart stuck in a house pediddling around caring about flowers and watch and like yelling at the squirrels for eating my bird seed which is just and i realized i love it so i was like oh this is encouraging (laughs) I love, I love that image a lot. I miss you a lot, my friend. Um, Like Streams of the Ocean is out now. It's available wherever you buy books. Um, Chad, I miss you. I hope we get to go to Mexico again. Me too. Text me a picture of your, your like wildflowers. I, I miss you. Oh my gosh. I miss you too. And please continue to just curate and be the gatekeeper of TikTok that I've always wanted and always needed because you bring me so much joy. I got you. I got you. <laughs> you can find us many places on the internet, callyourgirlfriend.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. We're on all your favorite platforms. Subscribe, rate, review. You know the drill. You can call us back. You can leave a voicemail at 714-681-2943. That's 714-681-CYGF. You can email us, callyrgf at gmail.com. Our theme song is by Robin. Original music composed by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs. Our logos are by Kamisha Sneed. We're on Instagram and Twitter at callyrgf. Our producer is Jordan Bailey. And this podcast is produced by Gina Delvac. I'll see you on the internet, but not in Mexico. See ya. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'll see you in Mexico one day. Oh, dare to dream. <laughs>